The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and I am the Executive Director of One And uh, today we have what I hope is going to be a very stimulating show and I would really invite those of you who are listening use the call-in number and call in and talk with Alex and I because our topic today is going to be about youth rights um, up to and including lowering the drinking age to 18 as well as maybe lowering the voting age to 16. Um, Our guest today is Alex Karachne-Palace who is originally from Michigan and currently lives in the D.C. area. Alex attended American University and during his senior year in high school, Alex successfully changed the policy of several age discriminatory stores in his hometown of Holland, Michigan. In his capacity as the National Youth Rights Association Executive Director, Alex has appeared on CNN, PBS, and Fox News and has been quoted in most major newspapers in the country and was the subject of a feature article in the Washington Post. In addition to his role as the National Youth Rights Association's Executive Director. Alex serves on the Board of Community Alliance for the Ethical Treatment of Youth. Um, And Alex was voted into office in 1999. Um, Alex, thank you for agreeing to be on the show and talking to us about a subject that has some um, uh, feelings associated with it, I think, on uh, both sides of the aisle. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. Could you begin by telling us a little bit about the National Youth Rights Association and how you became interested in um, age discriminatory issues? Sure. Uh, the organization was founded in 1998 um, by a collection of high school students and college students who um, met online. Um, they, they initially met to just kind of discuss issues that they were dealing with as young people, um, the discrimination that they faced, and the um, many ways in which they, as young citizens, were disrespected and you know, mistreated and overlooked, I guess, by, uh, by people around them. So they founded this organization in 98 to um, really be a voice and to really kind of work proactively to defend their civil rights um, as, as anybody else in society um, should have. And I got involved myself a year later, a year after it was founded, um, when I was just uh, just about to start college. And I quickly got involved, um, got uh, elected president, and have been running it since. And in that time, we've had a lot of success, a lot of progress, um, dealing with a lot of our key issues, which are uh, lowering the drinking age to 18, lowering the voting age to 16, defending student rights in public schools, 
um, you know, fighting uh, youth curfew laws around the country, and uh, we've you know, really brought together a stellar group of young people who are passionate about their rights and their um, you know, ability to have a voice and have a say and be respected. And you know, we've, we've made, you know, gotten huge press coverage and changed a few laws. Um, we've got a uh, one of our chapters in Florida has a, a lawsuit pending right now about uh, challenging their town's curfew law um, in Florida. And um, you know, we're just making a lot of progress on uh, you know getting people to really recast the way um, you know they, they think about young people and, and their place in society. Um, I just have a general question in terms of from a legal perspective. At what age? Um, do we begin to really have civil rights? Sure. Um, I guess it depends on the the right in question, and it depends a little bit on the person in question. Um, we are seeking to lower the drinking age to 18. Uh, we feel that it makes absolutely no sense that um, you know, we deem somebody at 18 responsible enough to die for their country in a war, to get married, to... Uh, drive a car and do everything else, pay taxes and vote, everything else that's demanded of citizens in this country, but not um, allow them the right to drink. Um, you know, for the voting age, we think that uh, 16-year-olds are absolutely uh, as qualified and competent and able to cast an informed ballot as anyone else in society, and there's no compelling reason to deny them the right to vote at 16. Um, let's take the first issue, which I know um, <clears throat> when I first met you, it was at the NADAC Efficacy in Action pu uh, Public Policy Conference, and you debated this issue with a, with a man who had lost his son to an underage drinking accident. And I know there's a lot of emotion charged with this because of the rate of young people dying and um, overdosing. So uh, could you just explain for our audience the the rationale for it, besides, I know, you know, besides dying for your country and um, being able to get married, but from a clinical or a public health perspective, your rationale for it. Sure. Um, I mean, drunk driving is absolutely a huge problem in this country, and, um, you know, we certainly want to do anything that we can to, you know, help prevent that, but um, I, I think it doesn't make any sense um, to have one set, one standard for one group of people and a second standard for a different group. Uh, drunk drivers can be of any age, and there are very high levels of drunk driving among you know, adults of 30-year-olds, you know, 20-year-olds, 50-year-olds even, um, and uh, a death caused by a 50-year-old drunk driver is no less tragic than a death caused by a 20-year-old drunk driver. Um, what we've seen, though, is that this law that was passed in 1984, um, despite many claims uh, from the other side, has not worked, and it unfairly targets young people without much positive result from it. Um, young people still get alcohol in uh, large amounts. Um, it was only 10 years ago or so that I was in high school, and anybody that I, um, you know, anybody that I knew to get alcohol anytime they wanted, and even more so in college. Um, you know, you've got college campuses right now that have absolutely out-of-control 
um, alcohol abuse and binge drinking and, and trouble caused by this um, this law and the culture of abuse that this law has caused and the rush to to drink to get drunk um, that you don't see um, as much in other countries or in other cultures that don't have this kind of punitive um, prohibitionist law that uh, targets young people. Well, you know, I think um, there's so many there's so many different uh, ways to look at this, and and one is that um, is it the law that's the problem, or is it how our culture views alcohol that's the problem? The other way to look at it is is that if we lower the drinking age to 18, then how are we going to? That's really not going to address the educational issues around binge drinking, around drinking to excess. Um, and then we, we also know that the brain doesn't truly develop until, until we're about 24 or 5. So when you take all those things into consideration, um, lowering the drinking age to 18 would be something that if you did, it, you still have to do something else. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I think that what lowering the drinking age allows us to do is it allows us to um, really have the kind of um, balanced and proactive education that we are lacking right now. Um, you rightly pointed out the problems in our culture and how our culture deals with alcohol and views alcohol. And we seem to have a very, um, I guess, wildly swinging attitude towards alcohol. We either... Um, you know, abstain and, and prohibit some prohibit it, or we go crazy and we get drunk and we you know hurt ourselves or others. And our current law and our current um, legal attitude towards it, saying that pretty much has the message of if you're under 21, you can't have a single drop, you can't go near it, you can't touch it. This is bad, bad, bad. But if you're 21 and over, you know, go have fun. You know, have 21 shots of liquor on your birthday. You know, do what you want. It doesn't matter. You can go crazy. Um, that kind of um, double message that we are sending to to our youth and to our adults, I think, is absolutely the source of this problem. And I think we need to have one message, a consistent message, that says alcohol is neither good or bad. It depends on how you use it. And if you use it moderately, if you use it responsibly, if you use it safely, then that's okay. But if you go to excess, if you put yourself in danger, if you get behind the wheel of a car, if you harm somebody, then that's a completely different story. It doesn't matter what age you are. And having that message and being able to, to educate people with that message, I think would have a profound impact on reducing drunk driving, alcoholism, binge drinking, and the other harms that we see with alcohol. And we're currently not allowed to make that pitch, make that appeal. You can't tell somebody who's legally banned from having a sip of alcohol to drink responsibly or drink moderately because they're not allowed to drink at all. Of course, they do drink, and they drink in large quantities. Um, so having a proper education uh, method that empowers parents, empowers um, you know schools, empowers educators, empowers a lot of people who you know, are really doing the best by uh, young people they work with I think would um, serve us very well in, in helping uh, reduce a lot of the problems that we see. 
Alex, when you said earlier that this law wasn't working, do you have any data to uh, substantiate that observation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just give me a second to pull something up. Um, the uh, drinking um, has you know, been increasing steadily in the last uh, 15 years among young people. And according to a study in 2005, more than 60% of 8th graders and over 80% of 10th graders said that it was fairly easy or very easy to obtain alcohol. And oh, we'll be right back to get more um, information. Sorry, around uh, lowering the drinking age to 18. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Janine Marks, a 12-year-old, was fairly normal. She spent a lot of time online. One day, she met a new friend. The new friend had the same problems at home. They liked the same bands. They worried about the same subjects in school. They promised to keep each other's secrets. They wished they went to the same junior high. The new friend had good news. He said he was going to be in Janine's area one Saturday. He thought it would be amazing if they could just hang out, go to the mall. Janine agreed. The new friend didn't want parents messing this up. Janine showed up alone. So did her new friend, who wasn't in junior high wasn't nice and wasn't a 14-year-old boy. Every day, children are sexually solicited online. Help delete online predators. Call 1-800-THE-LOST or visit cybertipline.com to learn how to protect your kids' online life. A message from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. Today we're talking about... Uh, lowering the drinking age to 18. What do you think about that? Give us a call. Our guest today is um, Alex Karakne Palace. And um, prior to going to break, Alex, you were giving us some data. Could you cite the study and just um, repeat it again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a study done by the American Medical Association called uh, Teenage Drinking Key Findings. Um, and it basically says that you know, despite being illegal for, you know, more than a generation now, um, even middle school students, uh, 60% of middle school students have easy access to alcohol, and 80% of 10th graders say they have easy access to alcohol. And among, you know, those are, you know, middle school and high school students, among college students, I would imagine, uh, based on, um, you know, other other numbers I've seen that uh, virtually, you know, uh, the law is virtually a joke, I guess. Um, you know, it's—I uh, know a lot of people get polarized around the drinking age, and um, when I was growing up, 18 was the age in which you could drink. Um, but it was more what our expectations were when we were 16, 17, 18. What, and from my perspective, what my community taught me and what my family taught me about drinking was far more um, important to me than than what, what, the, what the age was or not. I mean, we started drinking when we were, you know, juniors in high school. So um, I'm just wondering if you know anything about the correlation between parents' attitudes and um, drinking with, with kids because in some ways the age is almost, um, it's almost artificial. Because if your expectation is that you drink to get drunk and this is the way you relieve stress you, and you have a family history of alcoholism, it almost doesn't matter what age you are when you begin to drink. Yeah, I think um, you know, empowering parents to begin um, you know, introducing uh, kids to alcohol at younger ages in you know, moderate, responsible ways I think is the single most important um, way of combating alcohol abuse. And, you know, with our current just-say-no attitude, um, it kind of removes that um, that role from the parents and it kind of makes it a legal matter, makes it a police matter. And I think that it, we should return that power to the parents and we should, um, you know, give them more opportunities to, you know, teach drinking um, at younger ages like they do in Europe, like they do... Know, for most countries and in most times, uh, even in their own history, and I think that you know currently the problem that we see with um, you know uh, with young people is that they're learning to drink from their peers, and they're not learning to drink from their family, and I think that's you know causing a lot of the trouble that we see. Or in some families that have high rates of alcoholism, they are learning to drink from their families, and it's a very maladaptive way of drinking. That's very true. Yeah. You know, um, you know, there's there was a lot of emphasis 
in the Just in the Dare program and in the whole uh, marketing campaign around Just Say No. And um, we know that the Dare program has not been effective in terms of reducing drug uh, addiction, but it has been very effective in community relations with children and police. So I think it's important for us to look at what are the things we need to teach people and, and what do we need to teach parents in order to empower them to um, have kids that are savvy around alcohol use, misuse, and dependence. And um, Do you know of any programs that, that do that? I am not aware of any, but um, I think that the the idea, I guess, behind DARE and having, you know, police and, and students be interacting, I think, is, is a good one. It's just that the message needs to be worked on. That instead of a, a just say no message, that uh, if we were to, uh, you know, make that a little bit more realistic, then I think we could have all the good parts of DARE without the, uh, the bad parts. Yes. If the National Youth Rights Association is successful in getting the drinking age lowered to 18, um, do you foresee a need to do some type of uh, campaign to um, support, you know, responsible drinking? I think yeah. that would be that would be absolutely um, essential. I think that any bill that were to be um, passed to try to lower the drinking age, we would definitely support including some, something in there to, um, you know, uh, change our education process. And I would certainly invite, um, you know, public advocacy groups that have had, you know, a long history of uh, involvement with the alcohol issue like Mad and others to um, get behind us on, you know, trying to promote a different uh, education policy towards alcohol. Um, have you currently tried to um, put, put a bill together? Um, we haven't really gotten to that point. At this point, we are still working on just trying to change people's attitudes and uh, build public awareness about this issue. Um, we haven't gotten to the legislative stage yet. Um, when that time comes, I'm, I'm certain that you know we'll we'll be working on different uh, different ideas. Um, how is this received when you go out into the broader community when you talk about underage drinking and lowering the uh, drinking age table? <laughs> um, Public is actually surprisingly receptive um, for a law like this that you know one would seem to be as entrenched as it is, and with as much um, I guess money and um, effort put into trying to maintain this law, um, different advoca advocacy communities, um, the public is really fairly skeptical about the drinking age, and that's something that we found that I found going out into different communities and different. Uh, um, settings. I just did a debate to League of Women Voters um, audience in Chicago, suburban Chicago, a month ago, and they took a poll after the um, event, and the uh, you know, majority were in favor of you know, lowering the drinking age um, after that debate. And you know, these are not this wasn't on a college campus or anything. These were you know suburban parents, and I think that there's a lot of people out there who remember when it was 18. A lot of people who, you know, really sense the injustice um, that, you know, we've got thousands of people in Iraq and Afghanistan right now, and they just don't feel that it's it's fair or just that, you know, we're asking them to, to give their lives but not treating them as equals. Um, I think a lot of people really see the harm that the uh, 
drinking age has, has caused is causing on our college campuses. And there are how do you um, respond to the to the parents who have lost children as a result of underage drinking or um, you know have had extensive harm done to themselves or to people they love as a result of somebody drinking underage? How do you debate that? It's, I mean, it's certainly a, um, you know, a difficult thing to, to approach. Um, you know, our, my sympathy, our sympathy is always with um, the parents who've lost um, kids to, to drunk driving. And the fact that this is as tragic and as harmful a problem as it is, um, I think, underlines the need to try something different. And we've been going the same route for, you know, 25 years or more now. And, you know, of all the parents who have lost children to drunk driving in that time and continue to lose children to drunk driving since, um, from now on, um, I think that, you know, just telling them that, uh, you know, we're, we're doing it, we're doing everything fine, I think is not enough. I think that we need to really be looking for proactive solutions that we haven't uh, we haven't tried yet, and I think lowering the drinking age is, is one of those solutions. Um, I, I think that when we when we look at addiction and we look at alcohol abuse um, and we look at people's ability to immaturity level around judgment, you know, not everyone who's 18 has a maturity level to join the service or to be able to. Um, you know, manage writing writing on the convoy in Iraq or managing an M16 or whatever. And people kind of self-select who is going to join this service. It's voluntary. Where there's no kind of self-selection to a broad-based law like this. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. One um, proposal put forward um, by uh, another organization that we work with has advocated for uh, some kind of a drinking license that would actually require um, you know, young people to take a you know, alcohol preparation or education class and you know get officially licensed um, to, to drink at 18. And that would ensure that um, anybody having that license has not had any, um, no DUIs, no, you know, trouble with uh, no alcohol um, infringements whatsoever. And that would be kind of their solution to that, that idea and uh, weeding people out. Um, but I think on, on a broader scale that any time there is uh, – you know, a possibility of risk. Um, that has to be something that we have to prepare ourselves for. And I think that we need a common sense, but yet a, a fair-handed approach to dealing with risk in society. Um, if we look at, you know, drunk driving rates, um, uh, alcohol accident rates among people of different genders, Men are actually account for 86% of all fatal drunk driving, whereas women are only 14%. And we seem to tolerate that huge gap in, in risk um, without, without much trouble in society. 
We'll be right back. Please give us a call if you'd like to talk with us about lowering the drinking age to 18. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Hey, Jack, you got a sec? Yeah, sure, come on in. Yeah, I was wondering if you... Jack, your hair's on fire. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I just need to finish this sales report, and then I'll probably... No, I don't know, let me lie down for a bit. But I'm, I'm sure it'll go away. But the flames are getting bigger. Sh- shouldn't I... Your hair, there's so much fire. No, 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 I'll be fine. What can I help you with? Oh, dear. Well, at least we know the sprinkler system works. You wouldn't ignore this, so why ignore the signs of a stroke? If you or someone you know suddenly experiences numbness of the face, arm, or leg, or is set in trouble speaking, seeing, or walking, don't wait to get help. Call 911 right away, because time lost is brain lost. To find out more, visit www.strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE. This message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, today we're talking about lowering the drinking age to 18. If you have some thoughts on that, please give us a call. We do know that um, underage drinking creates all kinds of problems for individuals, families, and society in general. And we haven't seemed to be able, as a, as a society, to come up with a good solution for um, the ramifications of alcohol abuse, binge drinking, um, you know, sexual assaults and all the other stuff that can occur, accidents as a result of underage drinking. And um, the National Youth Rights Association is trying to address that through um, looking at lowering the drinking age to 18 and making drinking more of, uh, I don't know, 
I guess, more responsible kind of pastime. But um, if you're interested in talking with Alex or learning more about the National Youth Rights Association, Alex, how do people get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, the website is youthrights.org, and there's a lot of good information there on drinking age and the other issues that we cover and you know, the ability to get in touch. And we definitely need help. We need chapters. We need members. We need uh, donors. Um, you know, running an organization isn't cheap, so um, you know, all the help that people can offer, um, we would you know, gladly, gladly like to receive. Um, but I'd also like to point out that um, we, we don't so much have an underage drinking problem as we have a drinking problem. Um, a, a 55-year-old, you know, behind the wheel of a car, uh, drunk, is, is just as dangerous as uh, an 18-year-old. And I think that you know we need to really stop blaming young people for the the problems that you know all Americans seem to to have. Which kind of brings us back to your uh, your whole organization in terms of conceptualizing people, I guess, sixteen to twenty one, as kind of being a, a distinct group that, from your perception, um, seems to be the target of more. Um, discrimination than um, one would think, at least somebody my age might think. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, young people are really treated as second-class citizens. They are um, scapegoated, and there's actually a lot of prejudice against this group of people um, that most people don't really stop to think about, or most people just kind of shrug off as, you know, as okay. And, you know, it has very negative consequences in terms of our laws, in terms of um, just interpersonal relationships, uh, economics, and everything. Um, you know, young people have, um, are, are routinely kind of criticized and blamed for, um, you know, all the problems that we have in society, whether it's drinking, drug use, um, you know, out of wedlock, pregnancy, um, driving issues, these are these are problems that are not exclusive to young people. But yet, the, the media coverage, the legal focus, um, it's exclusively on young. It's exclusively blaming young people. Um, if, if we had a similar campaign, blaming. African Americans or blaming men or blaming any other group for, you know, uh, harms going on in society, there would be, you know, huge backlash. But yet it's okay to scapegoat young people and accuse them of being responsible for all the ills that we see. And young people are smart, they're articulate, they are, um, you know, responsible and they volunteer in, in rates that far exceed that of adults. Um, you know, young people have gotten the short end of the stick, and I think it's time that you know somebody really speak to that and you know give them the voice that they need and stop uh, you know treating them as either property or as criminals. You know, as, as a parent sitting here, I'm thinking like you know, but the kids mature at different rates, and not every young person has the same maturity level as another young person and some people have higher impulsivity and it takes them a while to 
kind of uh, manage adulthood. So I, I guess I sit here thinking, like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to uh, victimize anybody, but I'm thinking you know, some, sometimes these laws are there just to help some people give them a, a chance to mature. Well, that's and that kind of comes down to the problem that we shouldn't be seeing this entire class of people um, you know, with, as one monolithic group. You know, this is a, a collection of individuals, and many are extremely mature, and you know, the majority are extremely mature and responsible. Um, but there, you know, obviously, are going to be some people who, you know, aren't ready for these responsibilities, and you know, will abuse them. But we see that with adults. Um, you know, the you know, the group who are most likely to die behind the wheel drunk driving are men. You know, 86% of drunk driving accidents are caused by men. Um, you know, drug uh, drug and alcohol overdose rates are highest among 35 to 54-year-olds, um, you know, completely eclipsing that of young people. Um, there's a lot of dangerous, reckless, immature activity and behavior among adults and among other groups in society, but yet we don't focus on it. We, we say, oh, they're adults. They can make their own mistakes. It's okay if they kill someone. It's okay if they, you know, overdose on, on drugs. It's okay if they do X, Y, or Z. But it's not okay if young people do it. I think that we need to have a balanced look at this and really step back from ourselves and step back from kind of the, the people that we know and look at this in a fair and balanced manner and say, you know, adults really screw up a lot. Adults are really not that mature if you really look at them as a, as a class, and we shouldn't be holding young people to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. Well, and certainly there are adults that are being held accountable for bad judgment every day. You know, I, I think we do have some laws that adults, hold adults very accountable. Um, and, you know, we don't want to see, you know, young people not held accountable. I think that we just want them to be held to the same standards and the same accountability as adults. And right now we're throwing the book at them and, you know, actually treating them worse and giving them more, um, you know, stricter sentences for things than adults do, adults get. Um, can you give me an example of that? Like if, if an adult gets arrested for drunk driving, how is that different than when... Um, a young person gets arrested for drunk driving. Um, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but um, there are a host of crimes that if, perhaps not drunk driving, but, um, you know, from petty larceny to, uh, you know, robbery or vandalism or whatever, that young people actually serve longer sentences than adults do. Um, same, exact same crimes. Um, there's also a lot of actions that are illegal for young people that aren't illegal for adults, um, and that also creates a disparity there. Um, and I think it's just kind of our general attitude um, in society of, uh, through the media, through um, everyone else, and trying to demonize and blame young people. I think I think that's certainly one way of, of 
looking at it, and maybe another way of looking at it is societies trying to step in and, um, you know, parent people who get really poor parenting, you know, and who are young and don't have the guidance that they need or don't have the support that they need. And so society has created these laws to sometimes help people, you know, protect them from themselves. Why, but why then is it justified to protect an 18-year-old from himself and not justified to protect a 50-year-old from himself? Moreover, when that 50-year-old is, um, you know, probably more likely to be responsible for other people, other lives, um, and, you know, a kid, a spouse, uh, aging parents perhaps, um, you'd think that their behavior would have more of an impact on society and we would have more of an interest in taking control of that 50-year-old and, um, you know, guiding and structuring and parenting his behavior as opposed to the 18-year-old. Right. Well, I mean, that's certainly a, a good rebuttal. I think that in some ways people who work in um, with uh, in the addiction profession do that, you know, um, you know, whether you're 18 or 58, oftentimes what we say to people who are 58, you know, you need to go through adolescence. You haven't really done this yet. And I think developmentally, I guess that's where that arbitrary number of 18 came about, that somebody somewhere decided we have to decide what is the legal age of consent or what's the legal age of for whatever, and they might have looked at what happens developmentally with people, you know. Um, but I know in addiction treatment, we're often helping people go through adolescence when they're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old just from a developmental process because they, they never got a chance to do that. And so they have been held accountable in that they've lost their families, they may have lost their job, they may not have a license anymore, they may have gone to jail. Um, so, um, I, you know, when it, I guess when it comes to the overall population, it's easier to talk about this, but when you get to people who have actually gotten to the point where they're abusing alcohol or become alcohol dependent, um, you know, it's it's a disease, and you, you cannot regulate diseases, but we know that people can become, you know, um, addicted to alcohol and other drugs at, at early ages or, or late, later in life. So, And I guess the, the difference and the, the trouble is that when... An adult makes bad, uh, you know, makes bad decisions or makes mistakes or has trouble with X, Y, or Z. Then someone steps in. Um, but with young people, you can make good decisions and be mature, and someone's still going to step in, and you're going to be punished or you're going to be restricted just because of your age, just because of your birth date, not from any action that you've taken. We'll be right back. Um, Alex. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Ever seen a hornet, Shelly? No, ma'am. Oh, well, you're five. What are you waiting for? They've built a nest outside your window. See? No. You will when you climb 15 feet up this ladder to get rid of them. Take this insecticide and broom <laughs> and send those stinging meanies packing. What if I fall? I could get hurt. Oh, you know about gravity already. You're so smart. Oh, go, 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 go. The hornets are waiting. Uh, Shoot! Get away! Scream at them, dear. Hornets hate high-pitched noises. Yeah, uh, try not to swallow too many. Get away! Knock that nest out of the park. You wouldn't treat your child like an adult. So why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. I can't see! Are they biting me? Oh, that's so cute. No, honey, hornets don't bite, silly. They sting. Ow! For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back thanking me for my concerns and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it and she flips out saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, for our final segment today. And once again, we're talking about... Um, lowering the drinking age to 18. What are your thoughts? Give us a call. 
Um, while we were at break, I was asking Alex about um, some examples of some data that shows how younger people are discriminated against. And Alex, did you come up with some stuff for us? Sure. Um, there's one issue that um, that I've taken on since I was in high school and that the organization takes on still is um, you know, young people who are restricted in businesses that, you know, stores, convenience stores will um, you know, pretty much say no students allowed or no young people allowed signs on the front door and limit either the number of young people allowed in or limit young people in altogether. And there's no reason, you know, these are not individuals who have caused trouble in the past. This is just kind of blanket bans that a, a large number of businesses um, you know, have, have put in place to kind of single out and restrict young people. Um, there's actually also laws out there that state that young people who, you know, work in a certain job, um, you know, they, there's like a minimum minimum wage level for adults is actually different from the minimum wage level for young people. And it's actually legal to pay um, you know, young people less than, you know, the minimum wage because of that. Um, there's, there's cases of uh, similar discrimination around the country. You know, um, your organization is certainly focusing on underage drinking, but you're also focusing on, um, you know, uh, kind of the zero tolerance um, policies. We have a call. Do you want to let them come in? Hello. Hello. Hi. This is Mary. Who do we have with us? This is Stefan. Hi, Stefan. Do you have a question or a comment for us? Sure. Just about um, what you were talking about before the break and a little bit after about kind of a double standard for youth and adults. There are um, I don't know necessarily about longer sentences for the same crime that may happen. I don't have the data. But there are certain places. I know in New Mexico, for example, it is a misdemeanor to drive drunk, obviously, for somebody who's over 21. But it is a felony to provide someone under 21 with alcohol. So I think that's kind of the, the double standard we're talking about, uh, punishing young people more severely for things that aren't even a crime for older people and punishing them more severely for things that can be harmful, like drunk driving. And actually, I did find some... Um, thank you um, for that, Stefan. Um, there, I did find some numbers um, in California based on the average months served in California jails for various crimes, and... Um, for homicide, the, I guess the average number of months juveniles serve in jail for uh, a murder is 60 months, and adults it's 41. Um, for kidnapping, juveniles it's 49, adults it's 42. Um, for narcotics crimes, 22 months for juveniles, 14 for adults. Um, totaling up all of these various offenses, uh, young people, uh, juveniles actually serve 63% longer sentences, at least 
often as uh, study in California than adults do for the exact same crimes. Thank you for that. Stefan, are you still with us? I'm still there. Um, what are your thoughts on lowering the drinking age? I think it's um, absolutely a great idea. I think that if you lower the age, drinking will go from being kind of a forbidden fruit that has to be done in basements and in uh, secluded locations that really aren't safe areas for drinking, and it could be something that's much and much more of a teachable experience. I think that would be a great thing. Okay. Um, thank you, Stefan. And um, we've got another caller, Steve. All right. Thank you. Yep. Hi. Hi, Steve. Hi. Hi, Mary. Hi, Alex. How are um, you? Can you hear me? Yep, yep we can. can hear you. What are you? Okay. Um, I've heard a lot of numbers, and Alex has covered all the big arguments. I'd like to give some, you know, anecdotal feedback. I'm an 18-year-old, and um, I think the biggest problem with the minimum legal drinking age that we have now is it forces drinking underground. And for parties and stuff like that, people are drinking in their cars, in a designated driver's car, or in their houses, and they're putting back, you know, 10 shots in a half an hour or something like that. And it's really, really dangerous, and they don't have the time or the, or the you know, convenience to drink responsibly because the police are out to get them, or so they perceive. Good point. They also don't have the education in terms of what what is responsible drinking and what is safe. Exactly. Um, I went through the D.A.R.E. program myself, and they pretty much go through the whole drugs are bad thing, but they never tell you why, and they certainly never tell you how to stay away from it if you do encounter it or you do start consuming it, what what's worse. They never stratify drugs. So what are your uh, thoughts on lowering the drinking age? Um, I think it should be 18 as well. And um, I think that raising it to 21 was largely the political pressure in the 80s. And... Um, I I think it maybe it was a good idea to try it out, but it certainly hasn't worked, as Alex has cited. Um, drinking age in my age bracket has gone up, or sorry, drinking um, prevalency has gone up in my age bracket. Um, and the number of deaths has sort of shifted, um, drunk driving-wise from, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but I believe it's shifted from my age bracket to the 21 to 25 age bracket. Uh, yeah, there there are some studies that show that um, in you know after the drinking age was raised to 21, that drunk driving declined a bit among 18 to 20 year olds, but increased among 21 to 24 year olds um, in the same period. So basically, how I see that is you're just delaying. You're, we're not educating people enough, and we're just delaying the inevitable without the education to a later age. What we need to do is start educating young and then give them that right, as Alex has said, when they have the right to vote the right to, or, and the responsibility because the draft can still technically be reinstated while it probably won't ever be. Um, there's still that possibility that it could be reinstated and then every 18-year-old will be 
every 18-year-old male at least would be expected to serve in the armed forces, but they wouldn't have the right to drink. I want to thank all um, my guest Alex and my and the callers that called in today. Uh, this is certainly a topic that needs further discussion. And um, thank you, Alex and Stefan. And thank you for having me. For calling in. I certainly encourage people to check out Youth Rights. I got the website of National Youth Rights Association. Thank you. Have a good week, everybody. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.